0: Hi there, this is your host Tim Elliott again, and welcome to the second bonus episode of Inside the Tribe. If you remember, in the last episode we heard from our American family, Oz, his brother Suvav, and older sister Rivka, about how they had recently cut ties after a lifetime inside the Twelve Tribes. We left you with the news of another escape, by their only sibling still inside the community, their little sister Tor. Until very recently, Tor, who was 31, had been living in Cambridge, New York, the site of the Common Sense soap factory that her father founded in the 1980s. But it was a fairly recent move. Before that, she'd been in the Colts headquarters in Hidden Knight, North Carolina. As a member of one of the tribe's central families, Tor had been born and bred in the community. But as you'll hear, a few key incidents. The death of her father in two thousand and nineteen and her sister Rivka's escape early last year made Tor reevaluate her life.
1: Well my sister left first and after that I was just like my dad and my sister were probably my best friends. So losing my dad was really tough for me. And then losing my sister because when you when somebody leaves they don't let you talk to them anymore. So I just like, didn't know how I could stay without her.
0: And there was another trigger. Late last year, a 16-year-old boy who Tor knew Well died by suicide. It was the second teen suicide in the North American communities in two and a half years.
1: I mean, we really liked him. We were really good friends with him. He was always with us and his family. I loved his family to pieces. Like, we were very close If stuff like this happens in the the community where supposedly it's like a sacred environment protected, our children are fully protected from any evil spirit, you know, like they proclaim all this stuff, but obviously it's not real because look what happened right in front of our eyes.
0: And then it was kind of just swept under the rug.
1: Yeah. And like, no one came to like comfort us or even like just see how our community was doing as a whole. Like that pretty much tipped us over the edge.
0: Toll began planning her escape.
1: So then I tried leaving when we were in Hiddenite. And then somebody found out. I got as far as having all my bags packed in my room. And I was like trying to figure out how we could get out of there. But it's like almost impossible. So then, of course, somebody happened to come in my room and see it. And then they were talking to me. So I did downplay it a little bit just because I... When when you do something like that, you get super busted and then you get cut off. Like I was telling you, you get cut off and then you have to go to the gatherings without head coverings and then everyone knows and then you're pretty much put under the bus. Then you're like looked down upon and then you're treated like shit, I have to say, sorry, but like you're treated pretty rough. And so if they find out that you, like, wanted to leave, they pretty much treat you like shit and you're not involved in anything, you're told what to do. Like, my husband had a cell phone because he was involved in business and stuff. They would take the cell phone away, they would take computers away, they would take, like, anything away that you possibly could have just to, like, make it hard for you.
0: TOR's treatment underscored the tribe's double standards. Life in the community was a little bit like animal Farm. Everyone was equal, but some people were more equal than others.
1: I was pretty much belittled my whole life growing up because I wasn't one of the apostles' kids. And so i pretty worthless about it all. Like, it's, it's made me, like, a pretty worthless person. And so I would try to be involved. Like, honestly, if I'm going to do something, I'm going to do it with my whole heart. And that's just how I roll. And so I know I gave like my entire heart to it. Like I would be the first one in the kitchen with my kids cooking all day, like any extra thing, like processing cabbage from our garden, like just working, working, working. And then the women would like go and sit and make these like scheduling meetings and decide what I was going to do. But I literally was the only woman there that had no say so in everything. Anyway, so... There was these other girls there that were younger than me and had kids too. But because they're like apostles kids, they could pretty much do whatever they want. And so they would control the food and the money and everything. And then they would just like take off and go shopping and wouldn't tell me or wouldn't ever invite me. So one time it was like her lunch day and she was supposed to be teaching training and she just took off. And then they would go shopping and get all sorts of stuff for their kids like toys and all sorts of stuff. And then... I was like told clearly, like you should never have a toy for your kid. You shouldn't buy them anything. Like they should never have any extra things. Like they just need basics. But it was just like it was just like so hypocritical because if if you're gonna say something, then live it out, or else don't say it. You know. But to put all these standards on people and only expect the lower ones below you to do it, but you don't have to then that's like a pretty rough place to put yourself in. So they moved us up to our community in Cambridge, New York. So we wanted to just give it a try, try one more time and just see what we could do.
0: So then the second time, what happened then? How long after that, when you're in Cambridge, did you go, okay, I've got to do it again. I've got to get out of here.
1: So we're in Cambridge for nine months. We had Made a decision like two months before we left. I would like talk to my sister Rivka and I'd be like trying to work stuff out and figure out how to do it. And so for a couple of days, I was kind of like, I guess they, they said I didn't look very good. Like I didn't look like I was, had a good conscience. Like I didn't look happy. And so they wanted to have a meeting with uh, my husband to talk about me and my daughter, because my daughter was having some struggles. She was like pitching fits and stuff. So they wanted to have a meeting with him to find out like why we weren't doing good. And so my husband just called me and he's like, can you please just put on a fake smile for a little bit longer? Because they're trying to have a meeting with me and I don't want them to. But if you act like everything's fine, then they'll think you're fine. So I would, like, be in my room packing stuff up and, like, figuring out what how we were going to leave and stuff, and then i like, walk out of my room and, like, put on this fake smile and act like everything was good. And It was, like, the hardest thing for me to do, but I was just, like, had to keep telling myself, like, just one more week, just one more week.
0: <laughs> when the time came, Tor and her husband packed their bags in secret, but they couldn't just walk out the door with them.
1: Well, I had, like, a bunch of bags still, like... a just like our clothes and stuff people were still up in the house so I couldn't keep walking up and down the stairs because then people would see me leaving and I like went out on my roof and I threw off all my bags (laughs) off the roof so nobody could hear me (laughs) and then we just like crept down the stairs and walked out. But it's like an old house, so it's like super loud. And somehow nobody heard us, which I was pretty thankful about. We did it at like four in the morning. And Suvav and his wife were down the driveway waiting for us. And I got in with her and my husband got in with Suvav and we drove away.
0: Suvav drove them to a halfway house downtown, where they loaded the bags into another truck. Tor's husband still had his phone with him.
1: And people started calling us right away, but then he erased all his contacts and left the phone at the house downtown.
0: Escaping was, of course, a big deal. It was a life-changing event. Apart from anything, Tor would be leaving her mother, the last one of her immediate family, behind inside the community. So was she scared or apprehensive?
1: No because I had already gotten over it all. Because I had decided so like so long before I was just like set on it that it didn't even phase me anymore.
0: It's now a few weeks later and I'm wondering how Tor is holding up in the outside world.
1: doing all right trying to get settled in with my kids I have three kids um we found a place in West Virginia um a townhome that we are able to get into so people have been very helpful getting us stuff and helping us get moved in and settled in so
0: psychologically how do you feel
1: I mean I definitely feel like one of the scare tactics they tell you is when you come out here that nobody's going to help you. Nobody's going to take care of you. You're going to be left on the street. You'll probably only be able to get a McDonald's job, like all this stuff. But ever since we've left, like, I don't know, people have bent over backwards for us. And I've been like so kind, so helpful, so caring going out of their way to just like even call us and be like, are you all right? Like my relatives have like bent over backwards for us that, um... My aunt calls me, texts me almost every day, like, are you all right? Do you need anything? How's it going? You know, just like so kind, so caring. And they're like, God is with you. God loves you. Don't ever think he's not. Like, you know, because that's one thing they tell you too, is that if you leave, you're going to hell and there's no hope for you because you walk away from God. And so I was talking to one of my cousins that I actually had never met until a couple weeks ago because... I can never go visit him growing up. And so we went and spent a couple of days with him and it was so nice to see him. He's just like so normal. So I was telling him some of this stuff. Like I, I said, I just live in constant fear because I'm like afraid to die, but afraid to live because I'm supposedly going to hell. But like, I don't know. I just like live in so much fear. And he was like, that is so not normal. That is so not right. He's like, do you th- really think that God would decide who He chooses to like and not like based on some kind of religion that was pushed down your throat that you didn't believe, and I was like, "No," and he's like, "Are you a nice girl?" And I was like, "Yeah, I think so. I mean, I try to be good, and he's like, "Yeah, of course God loves you." He's like, "You're not being punished. He's like you're gonna you're you're like gonna do good you're like we're here to help you and It helped me a lot like it helped me get over that because there's just so much fear put into you like even during Yom Kippur they do Yom Kippur they have like 10 days where you're supposed to like search your soul and find anything that you could possibly think that you've like done wrong and confess it to somebody not just like think about it but like confess it to somebody and then if you don't do it all then you're supposedly automatically cut off and you're already going to the lake of fire. Like there's no more hope. You're like supposed to hardly cook during those times. Like we're supposed to eat super basic meals. And then you fast during Yom Kippur, like nobody should eat because you're afflicting your soul, like all this stuff. But it's just like fear, 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 just like jammed down you like your whole life. And, um, So it just makes you like a super fearful person. It doesn't make you a good person in the community. It just makes you full of fear. And it makes you just like a pretty, I don't know, like it's taken me a lot to come to grips. Like people even just like, you're a nice person. Thank you so much. And I'm like, no, I'm not. I'm a horrible person because that's how I've been trained to think that I like there's nothing good about me. Like there's not one thing good inside of me. I'm a bad, bad, bad person, you know, even though like I try to be good and I love people but it's not good enough. And then when I saw, saw my daughter starting to like, you know, like say stuff about her disciplines and just like, people just hate me and stuff like to that pushed me over the edge. Cause I was like, I can't keep doing this. Like my daughter's like a pretty high strung out there child, like says what she thinks at any time of- People did not like how she was. They're like, she's boisterous. She's obnoxious. She should be disciplined. And like, she was constantly getting disciplined. And people would come to my room and try to help me with her and talk to her. And, and she would just be like, everyone hates me. Nobody likes me. I'm just totally stupid. I hate myself. Like, And I just like, then I was just like, okay, I'm doing something seriously wrong. Like if my seven-year-old is saying she hates herself and she hates everyone around her and everyone hates her, like this discipline is not doing what it's supposed to do. (laughs) Like (laughs) And like she went through a time out here where it was pretty rough. Like she would scream and yell and stuff. But she's been like so much happier this past couple weeks. Like now that we're getting settled and she's just like so sweet, but we don't discipline her. We don't. Like she has consequences sometimes. Like I'll make her sit on her bed if she like hits her brother or something, you know? Like I want her to see that it's not just like fine to be nasty, but I don't just discipline her for everything and she's way happier.
0: So tell me what was the attraction for your father, do you think, of the group?
1: I feel like in the beginning they had a common bond where they were just good friends. And I know for sure my dad just wanted to live out the Bible like growing up, he was a major dreamer. Like he had, he wrote a book about his childhood and like what he felt like God was like, and the end of the age would be like, like he had a big dream and, and I think he wanted it to come, come about somehow. And so when he met the group in the beginning, like he felt like that was the closest thing to what He had felt in his dreams growing up, and I know like he saw a lot of things go down, and it discouraged him, but he's the type of person that once he says his yes, he's going to stick it out no matter what.
0: What did he say, do you think, that discouraged him?
1: He and a few other men in the group, I felt like, were actually did what they possibly could to make it what it was because they cared about people's lives. They cared about people being happy, they cared about people being heard, and they would go out of their way to make sure that happened. I think towards the end of his life he got, like, he could tell it was changing, but I think he just didn't know how to, like, I think he felt like he couldn't walk away from it all because he did give everything he had to it, you know?
0: As Tor remembers it, things began changing for the worse in the community, about 20 years ago, when you're about 10 or 11, it started to get a bit, a bit more strict, a bit weirder. Tell me, tell me about that. What do you mean by that?
1: Well, they just started having more, like apostolic council and meetings where they would like decide like what kind of clothes were acceptable, what kind of hairstyle you should and shouldn't have, what kind of shoes you should and shouldn't have. You know, like it just got more like. Weird. Whereas growing up, like it was more just kind of like you wore whatever. Discipline. It got like so bad that they were saying that the children shouldn't ask for anything at the table. Shouldn't say a word. They shouldn't ever ask for seconds. Like you should be able to know if they need seconds and they shouldn't even ask if they can have salt on their food or for a fork. Like you should be able to read their mind and know exactly what they need at all times. And I was just like, That is just not humanly possible. I'm sorry, but I cannot make... Like, I want to know if my child wants more food or not. Like, they shouldn't ask for clothing, for shoes. You should tell them what shoes they need to put on that morning. And if they put on their own shoes, then you should redirect them and tell them to put on a different pair just to cross their
0: will. Just to cross their will. What do you mean by that?
1: Like, just to... Like if they decide what shoes they want to put on that morning and they put them on, then you should go and say, actually, I don't want you to wear those shoes. I want you to wear a different pair just so that you can see their reaction. And if they're not surrendered and obey that, then they need discipline.
0: So what you're doing is you're manipulating and playing games with the kid.
1: Yeah, but they're just totally frustrated all the time because they can't ever like get out any thought or like they can't even communicate.
0: It's so strange. Why do they do that?
1: I don't know. (laughs) That's why we finally left. I couldn't take it anymore.
0: I asked Tor what it was like after the death of the tribe's founder and leader, Gene Spriggs, in January 2021.
1: It was definitely different. I actually lived in the community that he, like, ruled over. But I feel like already things were kind of... I don't know, like certain people are already trying to take over anyway. You know what I mean? Like who? Well, for sure, Robert Racine. He definitely pretty much became like the second Gene. Like he took over all the teachings. He decided what everyone was going to do and not going to do. And that's pretty much what he does still. He's now like the apostle of the 12 tribes. He pretty much took Gene's place. But then Jean's wife, Marsha, she runs the show now, too, now that he's gone. In what way? Like, tries to direct everybody and, like, get people to, like, she wants everyone to wear a certain kind of underwear, a certain kind of pants, a certain kind of tunic. You you can't even, like, um, decide what kind of shoes you want to wear.
0: (laughs) Who's running the money now?
1: I have no idea. (laughs) All I know is that I'm screwed because I had checks come in there and I wish they would have come to me instead because the the stimulus came in and um, they told people to apply for it, but then they told us we couldn't have the money. It, It had to go to another account so it could be safe for the men that are important and need to travel and do business traveling. They had to go to Romania that all like like a bunch of the guys had to fly to Romania and stay there for two whole weeks so that they could get a stamp on their passport and then fly to hit and be there for two weeks. So then they like left their families like for like six weeks so they could come do this like renewal meal. Then they had what we call breaking a bread. I don't know if you've heard of that. And it was all this for Shavuot, I guess. Like a lot of us were just like shocked. Like that is a boatload of money right there. Like all those tickets, having to get a place to stay for two weeks and feed them all, all to just come and have these teachings that nobody even like knows what they talked about. Like nothing and like nothing changed in our tribes from it. Like it didn't cause like a big change. It didn't cause anything. And it was just like a heap of money right there. And I, I, it was like, I was really upset about it. And they're like, yeah, that's where all your stimulus money is going to go to, to help support stuff like that so that we can do stuff like that more often. And I was just like, are you kidding me? Like, what is the point of that? The, the other thing too is what's funny is when we moved to the other, up to Cambridge to that community there, because there's a lot of younger people that lived in that community. Um, my age or younger or a little bit older, but, um, they all despise, Hiddenite, tonight and they didn't ever want to hear me talk about it which i i understand like i don't i didn't like living there either but if you're going to be part of a community and believe in it but then have so much crap to say about that community then why stay there
0: why did they stay there
1: because they they have their they can do whatever they want they have their own authority because they're leaders kids so they can like go do whatever they want during the day, but then they can come home and preach at the gathering and it's all good.
0: Next episode, we go undercover inside a community in North America and find out exactly how the 12 tribes are recruiting now. Stay with us, this story is far from over. Remember, you can get in touch with us via this email inside the tribe pod at gmail.com that's inside the tribe hod at gmail.com